Hey, everybody joining us on Facebook Live or listening on our SoundCloud or on your podcast app. Welcome in. We're so glad to have you. Oh, I forgot about YouTube. Welcome, YouTube. And uh, this is the Deep End Podcast. The Deep End Podcast. today talking about spiritual gifts in the church. Welcome to Spiritual Gifts Part de in French. Part de. Part de. I didn't know you spoke multiple languages. Uh, That's good. I speak tongue in tongues as well. At least three languages. Very appropriate for today's conversation. Mm. And today we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, last week we were in t- uh, first, uh, chapter 13, which talked about love. And today... Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to be doing most of the talking. It's a little bit less conversational today, although we do have my good friend and our director of pastoral care here in the studio with me, Chris McEwen. Hello, Chris. Hello. I'm, I'm just here for aesthetics. No, no. no. Not just aesthetics. <laughs> You're going to be doing some talking. Um, okay. You know, I just want to have a little bit more of a teaching session here today because today's conversation or today's topic, today's text is not exactly the easiest text to read or interpret. And there are some things that you just have to teach because people need instruction on spiritual gifts, particularly, uh, and things that apply to uh, order in the church. Yeah. You know, as, as church leaders. So uh, it's mostly me today. But again, you know, say stuff. I, I, don't, I don't care. I'm glad that you're always, I'm always glad when you're here. Bye. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if you're on Facebook Live, you can ask questions. And we encourage that, especially with this conversation, because today, you know, if we don't uh, elicit conversational questions, I don't know uh, what else will. This is one of those conversations. This is one of those topics in the church, tongues and spiritual gifts. It, it, it uh, kind of lends itself to a lot of controversy, a lot of debate. Uh, and then this is a lot of times the dividing line amongst denominations. Yeah, definitely. And with, with churches along the denominational line, the denominational divide of do we speak in tongues or do we not? Even this past weekend, I had somebody come up to me and say, now, pastor, at your church are spiritual gifts for today. Wow. Uh, so it's still happening even till this day at Waters Church. And just to let you all know, full disclosure before we even get into the text today is, yes, we believe spiritual gifts are for today. Why? Because they are in the Bible and I can't find one Bible verse, especially, again, New Testament. Uh, I can't find one New Testament verse that tells us to stop speaking in tongues. Can't find one. Yeah. You have to do, like I think we talked about this two weeks ago, hermeneutical gymnastics right. to find a way to prove that you should not have speaking in tongues for today. But that being said, there is a problem in the Corinthian church. And again, this um, podcast, this series of messages that we're doing the podcast is going right through the book of 1 Corinthians. If you're new to the podcast, I encourage you to listen to the previous episodes. But right through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we're all the way to chapter 14 now, and uh, it's almost summertime, and I think we're going to take a break from the podcast in the summer. Ooh, summer break. Uh, summer break. And um, don't let us know how you feel about that in the comments, because I'm sure people will be like, I don't want that to happen. If you want it, then uh, cry out now. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, the... Um, the, the deal that we're going through, first, the reason why we're going through 1 Corinthians 14 is because we need to do Bible study. We need to take people through the text, and so this is not topical in any way. Topical in the sense of how the text presents topics, we're going to talk about them, but it's not topically driven in the sense of, well, I pick a topic, and then we're going to talk about that for a few weeks on the weekend, like we do on the weekend. Right. But for Wednesday, like old days in the church, which, um, which I thought was very profitable for the body of Christ, let's teach you what the Scripture says in order— uh, book by book, and so 1 Corinthians 14, and spiritual gifts. 
So in the Corinthian context, there was a problem. And the problem was a very common problem to charismatic and Pentecostal churches, even still to this day, especially though when I was growing up. And that is that tongues became the gift. And mm. we had talked about this already two weeks ago, but I told, I told you we'd pick it up this week now and talk about the uh, more uh, instructional language of the text on how these gifts should be uh, operated in within the church body. And so whenever you have a church that believes in the spiritual gifts, and at least this again has been my experience, the tongues gift is the one that people just latch on to. Sure. It becomes the prized gift. Yeah. It becomes the one that you can easily manipulate. Right. Uh, by the way, you can easily fake it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it becomes a litmus test for people to think, well, I'm more spiritual than you because I speak in tongues. Right. Or you're you're almost there yet. You're a Christian. Sure, you're not going to hell, but you're not truly experiencing the fullness of God until you speak in tongues. And I have witnessed firsthand the damage that this has done to many people in the body of Christ, especially those who just don't speak in tongues and those who don't want to speak in tongues. Right. I know that there are Christians out there you don't want to speak in tongues, and I get that. It's strange. It can, it can seem overwhelming. At the same time, there are people that want to speak in tongues, and then there are people who want to speak in tongues, and they don't get the chance to speak in tongues, and they feel like, am I less of a Christian because of that? And I want to say absolutely not. In the last couple of verses in chapter 12, Paul says, do all speak in tongues, meaning that obviously, no, not everybody does speak in tongues. So when we put this gift way up on the scale of importance in the church, we can incur or we can cause a lot of confusion within the body of Christ. And the main idea here today is that God is not about confusion and disorder. He's about order and and things being done properly within the church gathering. Uh, speaking of confusion, we do have a question on that, and maybe we want to push our questions to the end. We didn't state that at the beginning. We state that, but what's the question? The question, it's relevant. It's, I enjoy, um, no, that's a different one. I got baptized in waters, but never got the gift of tongues. Is the Spirit of God still in me? That's confusing. Yeah, and so again, no, I would not say that the, that the gift of tongues is a sign that you have the Spirit. Right. We receive the Spirit upon conversion, when we confess Christ as Lord, and even not even at baptism, so don't think that the physical act of baptism brings the Spirit upon you. In the book of Acts, the normative experience for believers was that they heard the Word of God and they were converted upon the preaching of the Word. Amen. The Word of God is set up right in Genesis chapter 1 as that, the mechanism through which God creates life. Mm-hmm. Read Genesis chapter 1, he creates the heavens and the earth, at his word. And then he divides and fills and divides and fills. He divides the night from the day. He divides the land from the sea. He divides the animals from humans. He divides and then he fills. And so here's how God, in the book of Genesis chapter one, right on the first page, it is teaching us how God operates. Right. He speaks, his word divides, and then it fills. And you think about this, Jesus said that his word would be a sword that would divide many. Right. A family would be divided over the word of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes Jesus is the dividing issue between loved ones. It's oh, yeah. sad. It is not our desire. It is not our hope. I feel bad for people in these situations, but it just does happen. Yeah. That ultimately God's word, for those who receive it, they are converted and they are filled with the Holy Spirit. God's spirit comes into them and will manifest himself in many ways, mm. most notably in the ability to hear the word of God and understand it. Yeah. And not just understand it, but to agree with it. Unbelievers, and this is a fact, should not normally agree with the word of God. 
Sure, why would they? Yeah. They don't have the spirit. Yeah. Again, this has been talked about in 1 Corinthians already in chapter 4 when he says that the things of the spirit are folly. They're foolishness to the unbeliever. Mm -hmm. But to the believers, to those who are being saved, it's, it's life. We love the word of God. And so that's why I'm always impressed by all the people that watch our podcast and listen. There's hundreds of you that do this every single week. And I was just talking about this with Shane the other day. I'm like, I'm just amazed at how many people tune in. Yeah. But again, it's not a testimony to me per se, as it is just to a testimony to the people of God hunger for the word of God. Hungry for the word of God. It's so true. There's Especially a hunger. new believers. Especially new believers. They want to grow. They want to learn. They want that. And I would say this, if you have that hunger and desire to hear God's word, if you have that hunger and desire to let God speak to you, and then when he speaks to you to like it, mm -hmm. that's a good sign you are filled with the Holy Spirit. There you go. <laughs> you don't need to speak in tongues. Just read your Bible and understand it. Yeah. And love the body of Christ. Uh, love God and love your neighbors. You love yourself and grow in Christ. But uh, another thing or? Well, I, I just, uh, just a quick anecdote. There's a guy who's getting baptized this weekend and he has uh, uh, extreme learning problem he can't read and retain it but he told me over the last couple of weeks he's been reading the bible retaining it understanding it yeah. so that just you know and that happens and i've heard that story um here at water church too from other people yeah, it's just beautiful you know it, it's the it shows work of the, the holy spirit. spirit amen yeah so again i think i'm going to answer some of these questions so how about this we'll hold off on questions okay. until the end there we go questions till the end please. questions at the end you can write them now at any time fill in your questions you'll monitor them on the facebook yeah, comments we'll and then back. we'll address them at the end but let me get through okay. the teaching so that hopefully uh by the time we're done uh you'll be you'll be well versed in in what this is all about and then the questions most mostly will be uh, minimized or already answered so last week we talked about how love and i'm sorry about the um, <laughs> the uh, presentation here it's taking forever to load this up okay love must undergird god's gifts in god's people Love is patient. Love is kind. We, we read that passage last week, 1 right. Corinthians 13. The wedding and one. The wedding one, but it's not the wedding one. Exactly. It's the how to use your spiritual gifts one. Right. So 1 Corinthians 13, which is read at weddings worldwide, mm -hmm. is not originally intended to be uh, marriage principles. It is intended to be an instruction to the local church in Corinth that though they excelled in spiritual gifts, they did not excel in loving one another in the use of their gifts. And so he says, basically, that love must undergird God's gifts. And I would encourage you to re watch that again uh, if you haven't, or watch that for the first time if you haven't, because those seven tests of love undergirding your gift, mm -hmm. and I have them listed here, patient in regard to their use, kind toward others, not seeking your glory, not easily offended or upset uh, if your gifts are not noticed or uh, appreciated bearing all things you know you're always believing all things and and enduring all the this this these are the love the manifestations of love in our gifts uh check that back up uh sometime if you get a chance or for the first time if you haven't because it's so relevant to what comes next in first corinthians 14 because in first corinthians 14 boom right back to spiritual gifts yep he actually ends 1 Corinthians 12, and begins 1 Corinthians 14 with the exact same phrase, which is pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. 1 Corinthians 12, 31, the last verse of that chapter was, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will still show you a more excellent way. And then he talks about love. Mm -hmm. So that whole thing about love, the whole conversation about love is really just driven to undergird the gifts of the Spirit in the life of the church. But notice here in verse 1 of chapter 14, he says, especially that you may prophesy. 
And that chat, that verse right there is going to sum up the whole conversation he's going to have with the Corinthian church about spiritual gifts. Basically saying spiritual gifts are great, but the best one is prophecy. Uh, and especially when it comes to tongues and prophecy. So don't fall into this trap where we elevate tongues to a place where Scripture does not elevate tongues. Right. If Scripture elevates one of the spiritual gifts of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 above the rest, it would be the gift of prophecy. Mm. Now you say, why? Because prophecy is the most, I think, the most important facet of the gathering of the church. Okay. So that begs the question, what the heck is prophecy? Yeah, that was my question. Right. Many people think, oh, prophecy is foretelling the future. Mm. Oh, uh, you know, in three days, the Lord says in three days, you're going to get a new job. <laughs> and and we've had spiritual gurus come through the churches in the, in the past couple of decades, and, and they do that kind of thing, and it becomes kind of a circus, a little bit of a showmanship thing. And that's not prophecy. Mm. Uh, prophecy is not predicting the future, although it can. And we see that with Agabus in um, the book of Acts concerning Paul, the apostle, going back to Jerusalem. But just notice that even in that case, Agabus predicts that Paul's going to be arrested and tortured for Christ. So it wasn't really like a positive thing. It was actually a negative foretelling of the future. Right. But prophecy is not predicting the future, although it can have some of that. Prophecy is explaining the present in light of God's word. Okay. And I think that the best definition I've ever heard, and I can't remember from whom I heard this definition. I wrote it down a long time ago in one of my messages, and so I, I want to just bring it back up for this talk, uh, is this definition. Prophecy is the ability to see and declare reality the way God sees it. Mm. I love that definition. That's good, yeah. Prophecy is the ability to see and declare reality the way God sees it. So prophecy helps you interpret the times, interpret your life, interpret your issues, interpret your struggles interpret what you should be doing in light of the way God sees it. And if there's one thing that people need today, probably more than anything, they need a heavenly perspective on what they're going through. Yeah, so true. We get so worried about our finances. We get so worried about our children. We get so worried about the news and what we hear. And because there's just unending, unrelenting news sources coming at us, we can tend to think that the world is so horrible and it's about to go to hell in a handbasket tomorrow. Mm. That's pretty much not true. Like I always say this to our staff too, like 360 million Americans are going to wake up today, go to church, uh, go to work, do their deal or mm. go to school and go home, eat dinner, watch some TV, go to bed. And yeah. it's going to be a completely normal day. But what we gonna, what are we going to hear about? We're going to hear about that one crazy person. We're going to hear about that one terrible thing. We're going to hear about the volcanoes in Hawaii. Yeah, I was just going to say. We're going to hear yeah. about the sinkholes in Florida. Yep. We're going to hear about something else that is tragic and terrible. And there are tragedies. It's a reminder that the world is broken and we need and we are awaiting for the redemption of our bodies and the redemption of creation. It groans. But I think by and large, much of life is vastly improved from the medieval age <laughs> vastly improved from yeah. the Jim Crow laws age, yeah. vastly improved from the second and first world war war age. I mean, mm -hmm. let's think, let's think rationally. I think we get a little bit too, um, we get a little bit too uh, centered on our limited perspective. And this is why prophecy is so important mm. because prophecy is the ability to see and declare things the way God sees it, and we need that heavenly perspective. This is why he says, absolutely earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but the, prophet, the prophetic gift 
to be able to tell people, I know you feel like you're never going to get this issue resolved in your life, but to say something to them that empowers them to believe for better, that's a life-giving gift yeah, to the good. body of Christ. Mm. So I want to give you a little bit further definition from Paul's own, own from Paul's own words here in the second and third verses of second of first Corinthians 14. He says, for the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to God, uh, not to men, but to God for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. Okay. Let's table verse two for a few moments because I'm going to get back to what tongues really are. Cause I, I think I have the mind of God here about what tongues are for and who God gives tongues to and why he gives them to them. But hold that for a moment. We'll get back to it. Mm. Let's continue with prophecy. Verse three, he says, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for three things. Number one, their upbuilding, their encouragement, and their consolation. Mm. Up, uh, so the, the gift of prophecy does three things. It builds up. And the word is oikos demos in Greek. And I only share that to show you how smart I am. <laughs> no, no. I do that because the word literally means to build a house. Okay. But it was used in the ancient Greek world to, uh, to, to talk about someone who promotes growth in other people. Oh, good. Nice. I love this definition that I found for oikos demos, the word build up here for, for the prophetic gift, to increase the potential of someone or something. Mm. I love that. Yeah, that's Prophecy true. should increase the potential of someone else or something that you're dealing with. Yeah. And that is a fantastic gift for the church. We should be building up other people's potential. Yeah. I'm like, yeah Remember definitely. that we have that we have that four initial a phrase. It's not an initial, there's a four-letter phrase. I, the letters I, C, N, and U. Mm-hmm. And if you say them fast, it sounds like I see in you. Right. Which means say to somebody regularly, I see in you this. Right. I see in you that. And make sure it's a positive thing. Yeah. <laughs> I see in you great potential. I see in you leadership. Yeah. Using that gift and, and not just to say it so that you sound really loving and caring, but, you know, letting the Holy Spirit come into you and give those words of encouragement to build up others and find and and tap into untapped and unrecognized potential in other people because people get so depressed about themselves. Yeah. So much negativity all the time. All the time. Yeah. And most people, they're their harshest critic. True. I know I am my harshest critic. Yeah. You know, I'll preach a message and and I'll and and people will tell me how good it was and I'll go home and I'll say, Cheryl, it just was terrible. Mm. I don't think anything I said made sense. Da, 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 da. And she says, What are you talking about? Yeah. You know, so I'm I'm a harsh critic of myself. I know you out there are harsh critics of yourself. You know what you need? You need a body of believers mm. who will speak potential into you. Number two, he says, encourages. Or uh, up, uh, yeah, encouragement. So the one who speaks and prophesies speaks for people's encouragement, and that's pretty much self-explanatory. The word encourage. Think about the word courage and the and the prefix n, which means to put courage into people. And actually, the word encourage here in Greek is the same word that Jesus uses in John sixteen for the Holy Spirit. He calls him the encourager. Right. So it makes sense that if you have the Holy Spirit in you and you're speaking inspired by the Holy Spirit, you should say things that the Holy Spirit would say to somebody, which will put courage into them to believe. That's good, yeah. To be to be strong in their faith. And if there's something else that individual Christians struggle with, it is a lack of courage in their faith, a lack of believing they can. 
This is why you need a church body filled with people who will prophetically speak to you and give you courage to face whatever test or whatever problem you're facing in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then number three, consolation. Now, consolation is not just saying, oh, there, there, when somebody is struggling or, or hurting. It is that, but it also means to comfort. It means to comfort someone. And we take comfort. We think comfort means to just make somebody at ease. But the etymology of the word comfort in English actually comes from the French. Okay. And it means to bring strength, calm, which mm. means to come alongside or bring or with. And fort, which we use for military bases, right. which refers to a place of strength. Oh, wow. That's good. Yeah. And so the Holy Spirit, through the gift of prophecy, should bring strength to people. So think about this. Yeah. And this is why you need a body of believers. This is why you need a small group where people will operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. This is why you need a church where I believe, and I think I, I think this is absolutely right, where when the preaching happens on the weekend at Waters Church, uh, I would say 60 to 70% of good preaching is prophecy. It really is. Yeah. Okay. You know, there's explaining the text, there's telling little cute little illustration stories or jokes, mm-hmm. but then there's prophetically speaking over God's people the way God sees their reality. Right. That's what happens on the weekends here. This yeah. is why you need to come. This is why you need to be in small group. So you have people who will increase your potential, who will um, put courage into you, bravery into you, mm-hmm. and who will put strength into you. Yeah. Good stuff, right? It is. It is. So then he says in verse four, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. The one who prophesies builds up the church. Of course, this makes perfect sense because when you speak in tongues, nobody understands what you're saying. No. It's a foreign language. Now, in the book of Acts, there's speaking in tongues when the, uh, uh, what you would call the um, scattered Jews from around the Greek and Roman world come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit falls upon the the early believers, 120 in the upper room, and they speak in tongues. And in that moment in Acts chapter 2, the foreigners from out of town say, we hear them declaring the glories of God in our own language. Mm -hmm. So in that moment, the gift of tongues is given to people who know the languages, but but it's only in that moment. Every other time in the book of Acts, when you see the gift of tongues be exercised, it's not with foreigners around. Right. In Cornelius's house in Acts chapter 10, in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, there's no foreigners there to say, oh, that's my language. Didn't need to do that in it that. Did, it, well, what I'm trying to say is that it was just in Acts chapter 2, it was for a specific purpose to bring people from all nations together to hear God's word. Right. And you think about this, that in Acts chapter 2, to do that, God was almost kind of like, he was almost sending a signal to the church, hey, this is going to be a multinational movement. Mm-hmm. It's not just going to be the Jews anymore. Right. It's going to be multinational. And I'm going to send these people with their languages back to their homelands, back to where they live now from the Feast of Pentecost to teach the word of God to the people where they live. Mm-hmm. But beyond Acts chapter 2, you don't see the gift of tongues exercised where people say, oh, that's my native language. So most often the gift of tongues is just an unknown language, even to the people who are hearing it spoken out in the church. And this is why Paul says... When you speak in a tongue, you're building only yourself up. And that is true. The gift of tongues comes to some believers to pray in the spirit, to build their spirits up. But you, in the, in the corporate assembly, and this is going to be a theme for the, next, for the rest of this chapter, in the corporate assembly, Paul is saying the, the prophetic gift is understood. The prophetic gift is not going to just build you up. It's going to build up others. In fact, it's actually for encouraging others and only encouraging others. 
So then he says, now I want you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. This is verse 5. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Again, he's saying, look, prophecy helps other people. Why? Um, so Because it builds them up. And so it's more important than tongues in the body, in the assembled body of believers. And he says, the one who speaks in tongues, uh, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring some other revelation, knowledge, or prophecy, or teaching? In other words, Paul says, even to myself, I'm not going to come to your assemblies and start blabbing in tongues. I'm going to seek to bring you revelation in God's word, knowledge of God's will, uh, prophetic utterances, teaching of God's word. That's going to benefit you. And so here's the thing about chapter 14 that I love. It's really not ultimately only about understanding the gift of tongues. 1 Corinthians 14 is talking about tongues, but it's also giving us some underlayment for the church assembly. When the church gathers, whether that be in the big gathering on the weekend or in your small groups, the point of the church gathering for you as an individual Christian is for the benefit of people other than you. You should see your part in the church not as an individual what's-in-it-for-me mentality, but as an opportunity for you to bless others. If you think about it, if you have a group of people who are all about how can I help one another, uh, other people out, how can I make this movement not about me but about the benefit of others, what you have there is a slice of heaven. Mm. You really do. Yeah. The world is self-centered. The culture is self-centered. The world is all about me. Almost every expression of human existence today is about making myself great. It's, it's the Tower of Babel all over again. Let me make a name for myself. That's true. And the Holy Spirit comes and says, no, let me use what God has put in my life to bless you and build you up. And when you have a community of faith where people believe that and practice that, you have a touch of heaven. Mm. Because in heaven, it is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit exemplifying um, others, others' praise, others' benefit, glorifying and uplifting others. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think we talked about that in Trinity in our conversation last week. Yeah, sure always we uplifting each other yeah. is what you said. the members of the Trinity. Right? right, yeah. Yeah, so we talked about that last time. Let me just say something, too, as a point of note for those of you who are new to Water Church. You, and I guarantee you, you will be frustrated with Water's Church. <laughs> If you come <laughs> expecting the church to only and always minister to you, yeah. you will be frustrated if you come with this attitude of, well, how do I get fed? Which we hear sometimes. We hear sure. that. It's yeah. not as often as it used to be, but we used to hear it a lot more often. Is, well, how do I get fed? You get fed by feeding others. Yeah. it's so. Jesus <laughs> said that, right? Man can not live on bread alone. Well, that's when he's, he's in that passage, he's talking about the word of God. For himself. Okay. But in John chapter four, he says to the disciples after he ministered to that's the woman at the well, yeah. he said, what is my food? This is my food doing the will of my father who sent me. Right. True spiritual maturity, friends, is not measured in your knowledge of Greek and Hebrew. It is not measured in your ability to parse Greek and Hebrew. It is not measured in your doctrinal statements and doctrinal affirmations. True Christian maturity is measured in your ability to serve others and feel yourself fed mm. in giving yourself away for the sake of others. Yeah, That's true spiritual Christian maturity. And you're going to be frustrated with Water Church. I'm going to tell you, you're going to be frustrated with our church if you come expecting it to be church for you. It's not church for you. It's church for others. 
It's church for people who are not yet here. That's one of our key statements as a church. And the Bible calls us to grow up from infancy. And I think about this. Infancy. Everybody who is born again as a Christian, Mm. you are born as a spiritual infant. And yes, there is a season in which it's all about you. We want to empower you. We want to equip you. We have classes Yep. For your equipping. Yes, we do. Little little opportunity here. Growth for track you starting it. point starting in two weeks. There Baptism you go. classes this weekend, eleven thirty. That's for you. Mm-hmm. And then you come to the weekends and it's for you. And you come to the small groups and it's for you. But at some point, and again, this is for new Christians. The ones who come and say, Where do I get fed? It's usually the longtime Christians from other churches. Yeah. But the new Christians, absolutely, it is for your being built up. But then at some point you grow up from an infant and you serve others. And I just know this as a father. Look, I've had three infants in my home. Uh, and thank God they didn't stay infants because I'd be exhausted. Cheryl would, oh, no, Cheryl would be exhausted. I wouldn't be exhausted. She's, she's <laughs> the one that does most of it with them. But, you know, when you bring an infant into your home, and by the way, this is, this is an analogy for the church. Think about this, Christians. The new birth experience takes place in our church all the time. All the time people are getting saved here. Yep. Well, you're a mature Christian. It's time for you to help out with the young babies. Yeah. It's time for you to help out with the... Hey, can you help feed some other... Can you help serve some of... We got a lot of babies running around here. Can you help? And we just actually had in our house a new baby come in. A baby. A baby. Uh-huh. Yep. No, not yeah. a human baby. Explain that, please. The water shirts, you're not going to believe this. Yeah. This happened. Uh-huh. I got a dog. I, I advised against it. Oh, dear God, help me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> me, Mr. Anti Dog, calling it your baby. Uh, I don't know. I'm, yep. I'm, so he's a he's a little infant uh, aw, boxer. All the girls go, oh. Yeah, his name is Jax, mm-hmm. and uh, he's not my dog. No, he's no, the kids. He's Cheryl's dog. Cheryl's dog. I was gonna say, is it Jake? That's is the way it I get away Olivia? with not doing anything for it. <laughs> that dog is in my house right now. I cannot believe it. Ugh. He's but already in your heart, though. I didn't he's... get a dog from me. I got a dog from my kids. Yeah. Can we just can we just make that clear? Okay. okay. So it's not my dog. Don't don't congratulate me, please. If you see me on the weekend, <laughs> I'm not interested in your congratulations. That's Cheryl. Congratulate her. That's her dog, Olivia Connor, Jake's <clears throat> dog. They they can have him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nobody is cute. He will grow on you. Anyway, I only bring him in on that picture because he's a lot of work. He's a little puppy. Mm-hmm. And guess who's doing the work? My grown-up kids. Good. Olivia's doing the work. Connor's doing the work. Yeah. Even little Jakey, six-year-old Jakey, he's doing some work. Because that's the process of a family. A family welcomes in new believers and helps helps bring those new believers along kindly and compassionately. But if you come to our Waters Church and you start thinking, well, what's in it for me? And you're a longtime Christian, I got bad news for you. There's just not going to be much in it for you. Right. You'll still get unless fed. You'll get fed the yeah. Word of God. Yeah, but unless you're willing to start saying, let me use my gifts. Let me give myself away for the cause of Christ. I'll tell you, nothing, nothing is more spiritually um, feeding to a matured Christian's life than serving others. That's so true, yeah. Whether that be you, uh, preaching or parking cars, the whole gamut, yeah. or just outside the church, because it's not just in the church that serving happens. Outside the church, uh, loving your neighbor, mm-hmm. being being somebody who takes notice of that 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 uh, classmate who nobody else likes, That's good, and yeah. loving them in Christ's name. Mm-hmm. You know, these things are how we exhibit spiritual maturity, and this is also how we experience spiritual uh, nutrition as matured Christians. Yeah. Okay. 
Verse 7. Back to tongues and, and prophecy, prophecy being better than tongues. He says, even if, I'm oh, sorry, if even lifeless instruments such as the flute or harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is being played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if your tongue, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? You will be speaking into the air. And Paul is saying basically that there is, and I think that he uses these two metaphors on purpose, the harp and flute are a musical metaphor. Right. The bugle is a military metaphor. Right. And I think that these are on purpose because he's saying, look, the church for the world is like an orchestrated movement of God to bring the harmony of heaven okay. into the world. Yeah. I really do believe that. Yeah. And everybody has a different part to play. And we all have to synchronize. We all have to play together. But we have to have distinct notes. We have to have distinct notes that can be heard. That's, that's the common language, not tongues. Mm. And then he says mm. the bugle has to give a distinct sound to get ready for battle because the church is the military operation of heaven, not fighting people, right. but fighting the powers and forces that are against people, the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly realms, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. And we have to fight those forces on behalf of heaven as the military that God has sent into the earth to bring freedom to people that God has saved. So he says, you got to have things that people hear and understand. So in verse 10, he says, there are many, there are doubtless many uh, different languages in the world and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager to manifest the spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. In other words, he's saying um, that if you come to the church, and again, this is a, uh, predominantly a charismatic Pentecostal problem. You come to the church, everybody's speaking in tongues. All that does is just divides people. It just creates more, uh, uh, more of a foreign feel for those who are coming in. Right. You got, the church is meant to bring people in, not push people away. And so he says, this is the problem. You're, gonna, you're going to create a, an estrangement spirit in your church when you make tongues the epitome of Christian experience. And I was raised Pentecostal, mm -hmm. so I speak from experience here. And I'm still Pentecostal. I mean, I still, I still speak in tongues to this day. I, I believe it's a gift for today. But I remember that much of the Pentecostal charismatic movement, you go to a church service and you leave and you judge the entire service by how it made you personally feel. Which is dangerous. Dangerous, man. Yeah. I'll tell you, we would, and this, I would do it too. You'd walk out and you say, oh man, uh, spirit really moved today. Mm -hmm. And what we were really meaning was, you know, the music was good. Yeah. <laughs> but we spiritualized it. Right. And, and there was times when, yes, the Holy Spirit definitely did move in a really powerful way. But if you're judging every single service by how your, your emotions react to God's move, you might be missing out on what God is doing in the lives of other people. Right, that's good. You know, you can't just go to church for how it makes you feel. You have to go to church for it's the kingdom and the mission of God in the world. Mm -hmm. And I had this in my, in my notes here, but I thought about this. Beware, longtime Christian, of something that I call spiritual nostalgia. Mm. Spiritual nostalgia, what does that mean? That means that I get to the point where I think, oh, the old days in the church were so much better. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, back in those days, it was so much wonder, more wonderful. It felt just more like God was moving more in those days. No, mm -mm. God's still moving, friend. Yeah. He's not dependent on any one generation to move. He moves no matter how we feel. There was a guy named Elijah. Elijah ran for his life and complained to God and said, I'm the only one, I'm the only one, and nobody loves you, and I'm the only one, and you're not even supporting me. And God said, shut up, Elijah. Right. I have 7,000 people 
that I have reserved for myself. So mm-hmm. it's never just you. And, and so be careful that spiritual nostalgia that gets in the way of the advancement of the gospel. God's always doing new things. He's doing new. He's, he's presenting his ancient message in new and modern ways. Right. And I love that. Uh, Ecclesiastes 7.10. I have, I have a um, scripture passage to support what I'm saying here. Ecclesiastes 7.10 says, Do not say, why were the former days better than these? There you go. For it is not wisdom that asks this. Uh, that is a death knell to all the spiritual nostalgists out there. <laughs> Read your Bible. God is doing something good today. Let's get on board with what God is doing today. I love these, these the new music. I love the style. I love the the way that worship is going. And, and I think that's just fantastic. And yeah. you know what? There's going to be, and if you hate it and you're a little bit older and you hate it right now, don't worry because someday soon that generation whose music you hate, they're going to be outdated. Yeah. And you're going to push them. They're, the younger people coming up to them are going to say, oh, that's all, all those lights and smoke. That's all just old fashioned stuff. We're going to do something new. We're going to do stained glass and, mm. yeah, and, bring <laughs> and, back. and choir robes. And organs. All these things are going to come back. Anyway, verse 13, he says, Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Okay. Let's talk about this. Uh, he says, all right, if you want to speak in tongues in the public meeting, well, then you better pray that you can interpret it. So I think that Paul is being a little bit coy here. This is just my thought. Okay. I think he's saying, look, if you want to pray in tongues outside, out loud so that people hear you in the, in the public gathering, whether that's small group or whatever, then you better have the interpretation coming up real soon. There you go. And I think that what that did was put a lot of people who wanted to do that on notice. Yeah. Like, oh, I have to give the tongues, but I don't, I don't know what it's saying. I don't have the interpretation for it. Mm-hmm. Well, then shush. <laughs> you know? And that was actually a question that Kevin asked earlier, and you just alluded to it, which was, the person that's speaking in tongues, do they understand? Yeah, no, they don't understand. Okay, thank no. you. He even says it. My mind is unfruitful. Yeah. And, and yeah. so Paul says that too. So, um, It takes yeah. someone else. Huh? It takes someone else to interpret? The, you'll, you'll see it. We'll get okay, to that. sorry. We'll get to that. But I want to just talk about, again, the why of tongues in the first place. Okay. Okay, so, and, and this will address that question to some extent. Remember, I said this way back in the beginning of this talk that I would get to the point of what, why would God give some people a gift to speak in tongues that would only be speaking mysteries to God that they themselves wouldn't understand? It seems like a pointless gift, but not necessarily so. Okay. I, and this is a, me postulating, okay? I, I, I am just suggesting. I don't want you to say this is doctrine for the church, but I think I, think I have the mind of God here. I think that God gives tongues to spiritually stubborn people. Ooh. I really do. Okay. And uh, Paul says, I pray in tongues more than you all. And he was, before he was Paul, he was Saul. Right. And he was very spiritually stubborn. Yeah. Jesus, to save him, had to literally come back from heaven and knock him down and blind him. (laughs) Yeah. So he was as (laughs) stubborn as you can get. Okay. I think that he gives it to the spiritually stubborn because there are people in the church that think they know the mind of God for themselves and they have no clue. Yeah. And so they're praying one thing. They're praying, oh, God, this is what I really want. And I'm praying, praying, praying. Please do this. Please do this. Please do this. Pray, 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 pray. And so God supernaturally gives them the Holy Spirit gift of tongues, and they start praying in the Spirit in an unknown language. And I think that the Holy Spirit in that unknown language is praying for things that they would never pray for. Oh, that's good. That's, that's why good. I think. Let the I Spirit think, pray for you, yeah. Yeah. I think the gift of tongues is given to spiritually stubborn people because they refuse to pray for the things that God wants in their lives. And the Holy Spirit comes in and says, you know what, I'm going to make you pray. I'll get it done. <laughs> and you're not even going to know what I'm saying. Oh, that's good. Now, again, I don't, 
I can't find a text that supports that. It makes sense. But I know that I speak in tongues and I am a very spiritually stubborn person. <laughs> Paul speaks in tongues. He says more than you all. And he was very spiritually stubborn. You know, so before you go bragging that you speak in tongues, mm. just take that into account. That's good. <laughs> it might yeah. be because God has to have you pray for yourself and pray for things that you never would normally pray for because you're too stubborn to get it through your head that God knows best for you. Mm. Anyway, verse 15. What am I to do? Paul says, I will pray with my spirit and I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but also with my mind. Otherwise, if you give thanks how can your sp- with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. Okay, Paul is talking about himself now. He says, look, I've made this decision for myself. In the public gathering, I will pray in my mind and I will pray in my spirit. So he, he prays privately for himself in tongues and he prays privately for himself in his known language. And he does that also in singing. And there, there was, you know, an old standard, an old practice of the church when I was growing up. It was called singing in the spirit. And everybody would sing in their tongue and all that stuff. And it was good when everybody did it because no one was sticking out. And you didn't hear one particular tongue and that sort of thing. Uh, so there are those moments. Um, but, but let's get to when our tongue's appropriate because that's what verse 16 and the rest is going to talk about for a little while here. He says, if you give thanks with your spirit, in other words, if you're, if you're giving thanks to God in your tongue, in spiritual tongues, uh, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when it does not know what you're saying? Uh, love the word outsider here. Okay. It's going to bring up a very important um, standard that Paul held the early church to, which I think we have to hold the contemporary church to. Okay. Paul uses a word here concerning outs- for outsiders. It's the Greek word idiotes. And that means idiotes. Well, here it means outsiders. Outsiders. But it's, it looks like the it looks like the English word for idiot. Yeah. Uh, it's actually <laughs> translated common uneducated men in Acts chapter four thirteen, which we talked about on this past weekend. Basically, just means you know people who they don't look that spiritual, like Peter and John. Like did. Peter and John, yeah. day, right? So he's saying there are going to be some people in your church that are outsiders and the word is translated very differently across the translation so we talk about the esv here in this bible study but then the the niv has it translated inquirers okay so not outsiders but inquirers the nasb says one who is unversed in spiritual gifts and what i think it is is it's referring this word idiotes or outsider in first corinthians uh 14 16 said, I think is referring to people who come to the church but are and are interested in Christianity but are not yet converted. Okay, yeah, they're they're inquiring. They're like inquiring. Saying, they're looking it into it. They're checking it out. God is drawing them and they are responding. Right. And Paul is saying something very profound here for the church. It's very profound. He's saying, listen, you guys got to expect that God's going to be sending some inquirers mm-hmm. into your meetings. And we see him every week. And we see him every week, yeah. right. So don't be doing services that don't speak to those people. Right. Do, make sure that there's some facet of your services and your gatherings that always keep in mind that person who is just coming to learn about Christianity. Mm-hmm. This is why we made these decisions a long time ago, maybe seven, eight years ago in our church now, about nine years ago to, in our church now to always have in mind that unbeliever who might come to Christ that day. And so what, one of the first practices that I, that I adopted as a pastor here, 
was to always introduce myself when I began preaching. Okay. I never had done this before. Yeah. Everybody knows who I am. Right. Yeah, right. Everybody who comes to our church knows who sure. I am. Sure. But not that first time guest. Right. You're new to and them. And so I would start this, and I, it was very awkward for me at first. I would say, Hello, everybody. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here at Waters Church, and I'm so glad that you're here. And I, you know, I say it so many times now, it just becomes rote, and some sure. people just ignore it now. But when I first started it, I remember, I remember people would come up to me and say, Can you please stop introducing yeah. We know who you <laughs> we are. We know who you are. <laughs> All right, enough is enough. But I say, No, look, I'm not talking to you in that moment. Right. I'm talking to that outsider. And uh, that's, that speaks to um, almost everything that we do at Waters Church for the weekend, too. Right. We are, and you got to get this if you come to our church, and hopefully your church does this if you don't come to our church, but that you do your services, you perform, or you're, you practice your, your gatherings in such a way that you keep in mind that that inquirer is coming, that person who is checking out Christianity is not yet converted, and they're coming, don't do things that are going to build a wall mm. rather than a bridge. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's so good. I love that, that he's teaching us here. The church, again, is not the church gathering is not about you. Mm-hmm. It's for people other than you, and especially those people who are coming into the fellowship and are hopefully going to get saved at some point. Mm-hmm. So then he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Again, this is Paul saying that. Nevertheless, in the church, I'd rather you speak five words with your mind in your known language in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in the tongue. Okay, so speaking of hyperbole. Yeah, really, 10,000. <laughs> Paul picked up on Jesus' um, penchant for hyperbole, and uh, he says it here. He says, look, you've got to know that it's far more beneficial for you to speak in the known language of the day than, than as many tongue words as you possibly can imagine. Mm-hmm. Why? Because it's, again, not about you. Verse 20, uh, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. In other words, grow up. Like, use your head here. Mm -hmm. You got outsiders coming. You got people new to your church coming. If all of you are just babbling in tongues when you get into your church, these people are going to be pushed away. And I know this firsthand. I know this firsthand. I've done it myself. I've preached about this stuff when I expect unbelievers to be there, and I've seen them get up and leave. And I've seen people, or, or the, the, the tendency for me when I was growing up in, in the Pentecostal church was I was just scared to death to bring any of my friends to church. Right. Because what if? Yeah. You know, what if Sister Mary <laughs> gets up and starts shaking and starts babbling out in, in tongues? tongues yeah. My friend is going to think I am a flipping nutcase. You sure. Know? Uh, so anyway, they he says, don't, don't be ignorant. Don't be foolish. Grow up in your thinking. And I also wanted to think, I also wanted to just point this out um i i can testify that that the reality uh in many pentecostal and charismatic circles is that the gift of the holy spirit the gift of tongues gives you uh, the excuse to be kind of ignorant if i if i can say that to be kind of like well it's the spirit and i don't need Uh. to know stuff i have the spirit no, you should seek wisdom and gain understanding. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and, mm. you know, all that kind of stuff. So why don't you learn and grow? That's what Jesus did. He learned and, and grew in wisdom and in knowledge uh, and in favor with God and man, Luke 2, 51. Uh, so there is definitely a call on the church to grow in their knowledge and not use the Holy Spirit as an excuse to stay ignorant. All right? Ignorant. Don't use the Holy Spirit to stay ignorant. <laughs> ignorant. Grow in knowledge. Okay. <laughs> Let's go on. Verse 21. (laughs) In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues, and by the lips of foreigners I will speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Okay, so Paul's going to build up an argument here about tongues, because let's get to this. Verse 22. Thus, 
Okay, so what does thus mean in verse 22? He says, in light of what the law says about speaking in strange tongues and people won't believe. Thus, in that way, tongues are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign for not unbelievers, but for believers. Okay. What is he talking about here? Mm -hmm. He's talking about, in Isaiah chapter 28, this is the passage that he, he quotes here when he says, in the law it is written. Isaiah 28, 11, For by people of strange lips and with a foreign tongue, the Lord will speak to this people. And Isaiah is talking about the fact that God's people are no longer listening to his prophets. Okay. And Isaiah was not listened to. He was ridiculed for his prophecy. Yeah. And he was trying to tell the church, the, 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 the nation of Israel, come back to God. Nobody was listening. So he said, okay, fine. If you don't want to listen to people who you can understand, here's what God's going to do. He's going to send Assyrians who, who speak a different language into the city, and they're going to take it captive. And that's going to be a sign of God's judgment upon you. Okay. Now, we're building something up here. So just keep that in mind mm. as we get into what tongues are for. Then in the next verse, in verse 23, he says, If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say you are out of your minds? But he just said signs are tongues, sign, tongues are a sign for unbelievers. And then the next verse, he says in verse 23, Oh, but tongues are actually uh, going to cast unbelievers away. Right. Which is it? Okay, yeah, it looks contradictory, but it's not. Okay. If you consider that what he's saying is basically threefold. He's saying, number one, believers, tongues are for you in private prayer, mostly. Uh, in the public setting, if you can interpret it, but private prayer for you to build up yourself, for you to pray those things that your mind wouldn't normally pray for, all those kind of things, the spiritual stuff, what I talked about. That's what, that's what believers, uh, that's what tongues are for, for the believers. But then that second group is unbelievers. These are people who hear the word and don't respond, just like Israel didn't respond to Isaiah. Okay. Okay? Yep. So he's using that as a parallel to New Testament people who hear the word of God and say, uh-uh, not interested. And so tongues are assigned to them to say, well, since you're not interested anymore, we'll just let people speak in tongues, and you're going to think it's crazy anyway. It's like almost like a sign of God's judgment. Like a delusion. Like a, well, not a delusion for the people doing it, but like kind of the, for the people hearing it and saying, well, I don't believe that anyway. It's just a bunch of nonsense. It's almost like God's saying, well, fine. Yeah. I'm going to declare my glories in a language you don't understand because you don't have respect for my glories anyway. Okay. Um, and then number three, let's bring in that second, that third group we talked about just a little while ago, the outsider, the inquirer. Mm -hmm. So for the inquirer, tongues are not for them either. Right. In the public assembly. Because if you put that in front of the inquirer, the outsider, the person just starting to come to your church, and that's the first thing that they see, you could potentially do damage to the potential of reaching them for the gospel. Sure. So I hope that brings a lot of clarity here. You know, it's again, this is a first century church context that Paul is talking about, but he's basically saying, look, when it comes to the public gathering, don't be speaking in tongues so that everybody can hear you. Mm -hmm. Rather seek to prophesy because prophecy will, up, will build up, encourage, and console people. And the next verse, he gives us a little bit more teaching. He says in verse 24, But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare to you, God is really among you. Mm. And so he says, look, remember prophecy, the gift, of, uh, the ability to see and declare the reality as God sees it. Right. And so this happens all the time. When prophecy... Uh, operates in the gathering of the church, there's a conviction that takes place in the hearts of unbelievers or outsiders, mm. okay? And you say, well, why does he put unbeliever and outsider parallel there in that same verse? Because we don't know many times which one's the unbeliever and which one's the outsider. We don't know which one. Who's the one that's not going to receive the word and think it's foolish? And who's the one that's going to come and inquire and really get convicted? Sure, we, we don't, don't know. know. 
We, we, we're not sitting there trying to sit there and say, okay, you're the unbeliever and you're an inquirer. There's hope for you and there's no hope for you. That's not our job. Our job is to present the word of God and let the Holy Spirit do the work with the word of God. Right. So he says, look, the people who come, the believer, the unbelievers, the outsiders, they're going to come. And some of them are going to say, whoa, how did you know that? This is, this is God speaking to me. I don't understand how you guys could say something that just totally challenged my heart in an area of my life and... This must be God. That's right. basically what we're saying. Yeah. Now, good news. We have that happening at Water Church all the time. All the time. All the time. You it's spoke wonderful. to me, Pastor. Yeah, it happens. That people come up to me all the time and they say that. And I'm sure they say that to you when you preach and other people who preach in our church. They come up, they say, and some of them make a joke. Did you read my email right, this week? Right, seriously, like, yeah. Were you, in my, were you in my house this week? And uh, no, I wasn't, but the Holy Spirit was. Amen. It's <laughs> true. And, and, and I always tell them. You know, you should feel encouraged by that mm -hmm. because that tells me that God is after you. That's good. And yeah. you need to know yeah. that. that's a good thing. That's yeah. encouraging. So you're on the you're on the path. When you're convicted by the Holy Spirit, it's a sign that God is coming to get you. Mm -hmm. It's not a sign for you to feel bad yeah. and oh, woe is me. No, it's a sign that God is not going to give up on you. He's going to save you out of that mess that you're in. He's going to bring in his family. He's going to give you a purpose for living, a home in heaven, past forgiven, all those good things that we talk about on the weekend. Amen. So we prophesy and we do these things so that unbelievers, ultimately, their hearts will be convicted and they will come to Christ and they will be converted. And that's what we have happening here at Water Church all the time. Oh. So verse 26, he says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. I mean, again, he's just saying, look, just focus on building others up with all these gifts all right, no matter what you have when you come together, make sure you use that gift for building others up. And then verse 27, he says, if any speaks in a tongue, let there be two or three at the most and in each in, each in turn and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, keep silent and speak only to yourself and God. So that's pretty clear, pretty explanatory mm -hmm. that if there's going to be tongues, it can't, it's got to be limited. You can't have endless tongues in the church. Uh, each one should take a turn and... If there's no interpretation, then don't say it at all. Right. And, yeah, um, you know, again, we don't have these kind of services at Waters Church. Uh, we used to in my old, you know, my old days in church. I understand that. Uh, and some of you might be saying, well, why don't we have this more often? It's a strategic decision that we have made mm -hmm. that in the public gathering. We, we don't want tongues because, again, we're expecting people who are outsiders and choirs to come. Yeah. So we've made this decision. Paul's addressing the problems in the Corinthian church. There was no stopping them speaking in tongues. Right. But he's trying to give them some limitation boundaries. Yeah. And I would, say, I would say for any Pentecostal or classically charismatic and Pentecostal church, these are good boundaries for you. Limit the number of things that you do with tongues. Yeah. And then he even says with prophetic gifts, he says, let two or three prophets speak. Let the others weigh what is said. Mm. If a revelation is made in another setting, let there let the first be silent. So he's a, he's even saying here, prophecy should be limited, and then weigh it. And I love that passage. Mm -hmm. Don't just accept it. Weigh what is being said. You say, how do I weigh what is being said, Pastor? You weigh it against the Word of God. Uh, you weigh it against the Holy Spirit, which is in you. Mm -hmm. You examine it. First uh, uh, John four one says, "Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world." Right. The, it is a command of Scripture for the believers to test what is said in the church, um, and you can test it about about the things that we've talked about in this chapter. Is it glorifying God? Is it about that person? Is it for that person's benefit or is it for the church's benefit? Mm -hmm. You know, is it spoken in love? Does it build up the church or does it tear down people? 
be careful with this. Measure it. Don't just, and, right. and new good. Christians among us, this is good for you to hear. When somebody comes up to you and says, I have a word from the Lord for you. Okay, oh. red flag. Yeah. Please let that red flag go straight up into the air. You're going to be my wife. Because okay, I don't know who might speak that to you in our right. church. Our church is massive. It's got a lot of people. Yeah, that's good. I can't speak for everybody that's going to speak to you. If they are not a sanctioned small group leader at Waters Church, then red flag it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because I don't know. Even sometimes if they are a small group leader, they might go rogue. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> not not it, often. Yeah. But it does happen. So test it. Check it out against scripture. Does it seem right? Does it seem like the Holy Spirit is is resonating with that inside of you? God gives you the Holy Spirit so that you can hear the Word of God and understand it like we talked in the very beginning. Right, yeah. Okay, and then he says in verse 31, you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets for God is not a God of confusion but of peace. Mm. Okay, listen very carefully. There is not to be this idea that I just can't help it. It's the Holy Spirit. No, mm-hmm. you can help it because mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit subjects himself to your spirit. And you can say, not right now. I'm not going to blurt that out. Not right now. I'm not going to just say that. I'm not going to just go there. This is a class. And I'll tell you, again, uh, growing up in the Pentecostal church, it was amazing to see the number of people that ignored this passage and just blurted it out and said, I can't help it. It's the Holy Spirit. And, and pastors were ill-equipped to say, then you haven't read the biblical text yet. Right. Way back in the beginning of this church, way back when we were a little bit more Pentecostal than we are now, somebody was, I was preaching and somebody blurted out in tongues in the middle of the preaching. And I said, no, 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 stop. Right there in, in front of everybody, I said, stop. That's not appropriate right now. And the person did stop. And, uh, and then, and then we made time for it at the end of the service when everything was a little bit more ordered in that moment. Yeah. But you've you got to be careful. And uh, I, I don't know if we should continue. Should we continue or should we stop here? Do we have time to continue? What do you think? Continue to finish up the rest of the Yeah, because there's a lot, and it's going to get a little bit heavy. Yeah. Um, what do we think? I, I think we've gone about an hour. Yeah, we've gone about an hour. Yeah. yeah. If we go any further into this passage. Michael's saying, let's cut you, it. You can read it yourself. There'll be a lot more questions. He's hungry. He is hungry. <laughs> I'm hungry, too. Uh, look, this next passage is difficult. Yeah. And it's talking about women, and i got to explain some things, and so we'll pick that up next week. Uh, we will push off. Uh, the next chapter a week after that because we're going to be talking about women and, and ladies, you're going to want to be here because we're going to talk about that. Um, not everything that has to do with women in the church and speaking in the church and all that stuff, but we are going to share some things from the scriptures about that and we'll get to this very difficult passage coming up here in 1 Corinthians 14, 33 Great and tease. onward. Come back Great next tease. week. Great you're going to want to be back Tell your friends, tell your mother, tell your sister. <laughs> Come yeah. back next week. Yeah. So that's next week uh, on this podcast. And I hope that you've enjoyed this ta- conversation. Do we have any questions quickly that I could, that um, I could answer? You know, uh, there, there's... Uh, okay, so even though I was baptized there, how is it that I have the Holy Spirit now in me, yet sought Jesus out and never heard from him? You do hear from Jesus. Okay. Every time the word of God is preached, you are hearing the word of God. You are hearing Jesus' words to you. Remember, Jesus says that the scriptures bear witness of him. Right. The entire Old Testament, okay, is pointing to Jesus some way or another. Mm-hmm. It's pointing to his people. It's pointing to how he's going to come about. It's pointing to the reality of who he is. Every Old Testament hero is a prefigure of the ultimate hero, Jesus Christ, Joseph being the best one, I think, betrayed by his brothers, cast into a pit, raised up immediately to the right-hand side of Pharaoh, right. gives it, giving grain for the world. So that's 
telling you about Jesus. Jesus is speaking to us through the life of Joseph. Yeah. Through the life of Moses, through the life of David. And then in the Gospels, Jesus is clearly revealed. Yeah. And you are hearing Jesus being spoken to you right there. And then in the epistles and past the Gospels, after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you are hearing Jesus being interpreted for you. Mm -hmm. The Bible is about Jesus. Anytime you hear people properly preach the Word of God, which I believe happens here at Water Church, you are hearing from Jesus. If you are expecting like the voice from heaven, uh, you're going to be sorely disappointed. This is just not how God works. Mm. I'm sorry to say, it's just not how God works normatively. Uh, you can read, you know what? Turn to Hebrews chapter 1, read Hebrews chapter 1, 1 to 4, and you'll see right there it says that in former days, in many ways, God spoke to our prophets. God, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. And the son is revealed in holy scripture. And that leads me to one more question. Sure. Um, is, are we in the end times, Pastor? Of course we are. But we've been in the end times since Jesus went to the since Jesus went to heaven. Right. Because First John chapter one says these are la- or First John chapter three or somewhere on there he says these brothers are the last days. You know, don't think of the last days. And even in Ch- Acts chapter two, Paul uh, Peter quotes uh, Joel chapter two, which is talking about the last days. Mm-hmm. The last days refer to the age of redemption, which is right now. Okay. Redemption's yeah. plan has been revealed historically in the ch- in the church through the work of Jesus and the testimony of the apostles. Right. The prophets built up the foundation. Jesus is the capstone, and the apostles are uh, the ones who properly interpreted and transmitted what God has done in redemption's history for us. So ever since then, it has been the last days. Right. Now, two thousand years of it. Do I think that Jesus is coming back soon? I don't know. I, I, I do know that Jesus did say in Matthew 24 that this gospel shall be preached to the ends of the world and then the end will come. And there are many unreached people groups who have not yet heard the gospel. This is why we give to missions. This is why we support missions work in India, in El Salvador, and other places in Spain and all over the world to send the gospel far and wide, to hasten the day of the Lord's return. Right. Every person has to hear. Every nation and, and people group have to hear. And then Jesus is coming back. Amen. So let's get busy. Let's do that. Give to missions, give to Water Church, help support us, get involved. Let's send the gospel far and wide and see Jesus come back soon. Amen. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. See you next week on The Deep End. Thanks for joining us for this week's Deep End podcast. We pray that you continue to grow in your faith and that you would serve and support your local church. If you don't already have a church home, we invite you to join us this weekend at Waters Church. We are located at 57 John Deach Square in North Attleboro, Massachusetts. And you can join us every Saturday at 4 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.30 and 11.30 a.m. Make sure to stay tuned in for next week's episode of The Deep End Podcast.